everyone, this is Scott with Empower Ed, and welcome to the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. This podcast is a place to discuss the issues that influence educator wellness and explore alternatives to help educators recover from their burnout and thrive in their careers. At Empower Ed, we believe when teachers lead, students succeed, and we hope these conversations keep you inspired to support teachers in their wellness. In our second episode, we explore what it means to create an adult restorative culture within a school. There's a lot of buzz around using restorative justice with students, but in our work with partner schools, we hear teachers speak of the need for restorative justice within school staff. To define what adult restorative culture means, we spoke with Yazid Jackson from Restorative DC, School Talk DC. Yazid Jackson was first introduced to restorative practices working in Philadelphia and has been utilizing them to resolve issues in a variety of institutions for over 14 years. While the majority of his career has been in urban education, he has worked in residential settings, private, alternative, and public schools in suburban and urban communities. Yazid has worked with DCPS for four years, and he's excited to now support restorative practices in the full network of public and charter schools in the district with School Talk. He stands behind the unique approach that School Talk takes, assessing student needs and designing restorative programs in schools. In our conversation with Yazid, we discuss why adults need to model restorative practices for it to work with students, the difference between venting our difficulties and actual restorative practice, how to address the lack of time in the day to do restorative adult work. We learned a lot from Yazid, we think is essential for supporting educator wellness and cultivating a more positive school culture overall. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. We are back. This is our second episode of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. Woo! And we're very <laughs> excited about this conversation we're going to have today with Yazid Jackson from Restorative DC. Welcome to the podcast, Yazid. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we today we want to talk about what it means to have restorative adult culture within schools. And it's something that we hear a lot about in our work with schools is how important people are recognizing restorative work is for students, where we have gotten a lot of feedback in our surveying and and talking to educators is that uh, they don't feel like they often have the restorative culture to deal with issues that come up between staff members, between leadership and staff. And so we are just um, very excited to get your expertise, Yazid. So can you start off just by introducing yourself and talking about how you started doing the work that you're doing now. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Yazi Jackson, Program Director of Restorative DC, Program of School Talk. I've been doing this work since 2005 in um, various spaces in the education world in terms of I've done residential, sped work, private school, charter school, public uh, DCPS, and now transition to supporting schools and partnering with schools. But this work that I started in 2005 was primarily work with juvenile delinquents. And we started with like normative culture work, restorative justice. And I'm like, wow, this is really impactful with this particular group. And um, I found a lot of natural success in it because the values were values that I was raised with and raised by. Um, So it was a little bit easier for me to like transition and do the work four and two students. I would say the transition happened with me personally around like 2011, 2012, when I had to really dig in a little bit deep with the new school that I was opening. And it presented a lot of challenges where 
I needed to be restorative, not just do the restorative work. So I would say between 11, 2011, 2012, I've been on my own personal journey outside of facilitation to do this work and like seeing benefits of it in my personal life um, with different situations that has come, you know, in the last 10 years, proud of the journey and, and proud to be on a, to be on the walk and also proud to not be at the finish line because there's more work to be done. I'm not a complete human. So this work is, is still evolving in me as I grow, learn and unlearn some of the things that, you know, I really held on to. And that's a process. And I think it's really important to not only be able to facilitate the process, but also be in the process for yourself. What I heard and what you just said was that this is not a one and done. You don't just like learn a few skills and then you've mastered restorative, that this is something that that is ongoing and personal development, which is really how I see self-care is like, it's not a checklist. It's like a relationship you enter with yourself. And then I also hear that you have to really, you have to really show up and you really have to give something of yourself and you have to be willing to be transformed. Yeah. And very, and I don't care for the word transparent, but you have to be transparent with yourself. And a part of RJ, in order to do the work and be a part of process, like social emotional learning is is a part of that, which I think taps into like self-care, is your ability to have self-reflection and self-awareness. And you can't evolve if you don't, if those two things aren't present. And so the hard part of this work is looking at yourself in the mirror and say, I am not dot dot dot. I'm working towards dot dot dot. I am not there yet. And that's really hard for a lot of adults. But the ironic thing about that is that that's what we expect for students to be able to do is I told you, go do it. Go self-reflect. Go give me a reflection. It's like, ma'am, sir, you need to self-reflect. And so when you're not well, it's really difficult for you to center yourself to reflect. So good. There's so much in there. I really want to define what restorative justice is, though, because I think I'm sure you see this, that people toss that term around, maybe not always understanding exactly what it means. So how do you define restorative justice and what it means to create restorative culture? Yeah. So restorative justice is a framework. It's a philosophy around community, relationships, harm, responding to harm, responding to conflict, which has a a value system attached to it. Um, And the value system is that everybody here is needed. So when something or someone is excluded from our community, we're at a loss. In terms of school, building restorative community is making sure that the community members, knowing that they're valuable. If you can see the worst behaved student in your school as valuable, then you're getting there. But if you begin to look at the worst behaved student as you need to isolate him or her, or you need to find a way to get rid of, then that's not community because you're saying we can't be whole unless these people are out. What RJ says is, no, it is our job through accountability to make sure that this person is cared for and that we lose when that individual is out of our community. So our whole community is a loss. And so a part of community is this level of accountability, um, which is a word that gets thrown around very loosely. But accountability is a key pillar in the work that we're doing. This is Scott from Empower Ed, everyone. Um, Yazid, it's so great talking with you again. 
you mentioned something I think is really, really important there, which is, you know, we kind of exist in these systems that are all about accountability and evaluation. And you just talked about people's individual value. And sometimes I think that's really hard to see when we're in a culture where everyone feels constantly watched and observed and evaluated, not just on an individual basis, but their their team, school, the city, everybody's under a microscope. And so we exist in these relationships between teachers and principals and your instructional coach and everyone who's involved in the school community where there's so much of a constant, you know, in some ways threat, right, of like, how are people perceiving me and the work that I'm doing? And how are they valuing it? That seeing people's individual value is really hard, right, in a system that is set up that way. Absolutely. And I think it's the constant exploration of what's accountability and what's compliance. And where do the power dynamics lie in between those lines? We have a flawed system, right? Like we have a flawed education system. We also have flawed people working in a flawed system. So compliance becomes the ruler of all. I can dictate how you think. I can dictate how you move by having this this compliance structure that then is named accountability. But accountability is intrinsic. Accountability is, I know that I'm responsible for this harm. So even when we look at, you know, school leadership and educational leadership is, one, how am I placing value into the people? Two, am I giving them time and space to self-reflect? Three, are we practicing accountability? Like, are we practicing, hey, I, I messed up right there. Let me let me go make it right. Are we practicing, hey, I know I was supposed to submit that. You know, I'm two days behind. Let me get that to you. And I understand that you are on a schedule and that might be impacting your schedule. I apologize. Or what do I need to do to make it right? Yeah. But when we move with an iron fist, that is creating more of a power dynamic that widens the gap because the system is already flawed. And I think that becomes problematic over time and it becomes normed, which is dangerous because we're agreeing to something through practice, but not through evaluation and interrogation. Yeah, you're so right that we kind of exist in this culture where it's all about compliance. And I'm wondering how you think just about language, how language and the words we use you know, when I learned restorative justice as a teacher, the most transformative thing for me was here are the questions you ask when something happens with a student, right? And you have that tool now to say, I'm going to frame this differently. I'm going to address every individual with these set of questions to figure out how, what happened and how I repair the harm, right? So I'm wondering on a broader scale with our adults, how do we change the language we use with each other as adults to be transformative in a way that our culture can be about growth rather than about compliance. Yeah. And that's where community building comes in that. And that's a lot of work that we do with our schools, with the adults. The only way I use 10 cultivating strategies to create communal accountability. And I've used it with a lot of schools on creating like working agreements and working norms. And a part of one of those strategies is are creating common language. And how do you create common language with a group of diverse adults. So just because we're educators and we believe that students should have equitable education does not mean that we agree on the values and we have the same language around it. We all have biases. We all come in with prejudices. We all have stereotypes that we believe in. There are there are things that we need to unlearn in order for us to move forward. But the the art of community building amongst the adults allow us to get closer to creating shared language so then that when we're implementing these practices, we're able to do them with fidelity, with care, and with love. 
And a lot of times we use words not realizing its impact or what we don't even understand around the definitions of it. I'll give one example. If I was to go to South, a Southeast DC school and I would go to a Northwest DC school, respect looks very different. But what do we get a lot of in referrals? Disrespect. Well, if you're getting a lot of referrals around disrespect and non-compliance, then how about we define what respect is? So is it ageism? Is it gender? Is it identity? Is it intelligence? Is it spiritual belief? Like where does respect lie? Because respect goes along the continuum. And so we're looking at words like respect and we're looking at it differently then we don't have the same definition of it. The work is creating the shared definition and exploring our differences, which is scary to a lot of people because the work is around conflict and most people are conflict avoidant. So this community building really invites the conflict into the circle because it allows us to unpack our differences and understand our differences, explore what you don't even believe in. Like where are our values? then I think we can get closer to having some of these common definitions so then we can take the words off the paper and put it into action so we can actually see it. It's it's so profound what you're speaking of. And, and I've had moments like that where just like consciously being in conflict, consciously being in disagreement. It is terrifying. Like I really brings up a lot for me. And those have been the moments where I've just grown so much. So I, I so deeply believe in the work you're talking about. I'm curious, one of the... I think flaws in this education system is time of how we deal with this issue of time because like educators don't have time, you know, they don't have time to do the work, let alone do the work with each other. So how, how do you work with that when you work with educators in schools? Yeah, it's a sensitive line to cross and I'm a habitual line crosser because I think you need that one person that is willing to move the line or stand on the line and say, what line am I actually standing on? And I have a lot of school leaders that I work with and a lot of coordinators and directors that I work with. And, and time is usually a part of the issue. And I, and I ask them, so what do you have time for? If you don't have time for this, that's fine. But what do you have time for? And they were like, well, you know, we got rigor, we got academics, we got academic recovery, and we got a, this and that, all the things that make sense. So I'm like, okay, I understand. So I asked this other question. Hey, if a student is in crisis, how much time do you have to de-escalate that student? And they say, until it's no longer a crisis. I said, oh, so you do have time. You just would rather spend your time being responsive and reactive than proactive. So is it a use of not having time or you just don't know how to create time for the things that are important? And what ends up happening is, is that when you become so responsive, it limits your ability to think and it increases anxiety. And you begin to look at things that may go wrong. So you wake up in the morning, you're like, all right, I got this on my plate, this on my plate, this on my plate. Something is probably going to go wrong. So let me rush this. Let me go hurry up and do that so I can embrace an urgent request or a responsive action. And in two schools in particular, they realized the time that they had wasn't enough to do the work. So what they did was they changed their master schedule to make sure that there was built-in workshop hours weekly and or bi-weekly 
so that staff members can not a prep time, but it could be used for PD time. It could be used for common planning. It could be used for community building. And they've seen great benefits to making sure, because now it's important because you're creating time for it. Whatever you create time for is what's most important to you. Yeah, some schools may not have time because it's not important yet, but that crisis would be important when it happens because you want to eliminate it. But how about we build the skills proactively so we can decrease the impact or the risk that crisis may happen that could affect our school community. Thank you. We have found pretty much across the board in the schools that we work with, there are three things that are linked together so strongly, which is one, staff burnout that educators are feeling extremely burned out. They just, their well is empty. Two, adult restorative culture, feeling like they don't have the mechanism to address what what they feel needs to happen and they don't feel listened to. And then three is flexible scheduling. And I don't think you can separate those three things. And I'm curious, like, what's the connection you see between burnout and the educator space and lack of restorative culture? I think we like the idea of self-care I think we like the idea of staff wellness and it doesn't look the same for everybody. And some may say, well, take a day off self-care. Well, my brain is still at work, but my body is at home. Some may say, well, go do yoga and all these common practices. But if I can't return back to safety, it's not care. So building a restorative culture amongst adults is the ability to maintain safety. And what that means is I build safety amongst the community based on the community's needs. And so not just my physical safety, my intellectual safety. Is my identity safe here? Can I express the most difficult parts about my life? Can I merge personal and professional in this building? Am I going to be judged or ridiculed when I speak up, when I speak my truth? Is conflict welcome here? Having and investing in an adult restorative culture, one should be first before you even get in front of students because we're then asking students to do something that we're not willing to tackle. So we're asking students to be restorative. Then how can we ask students to be restorative if the adults are avoiding the process? And so the work that we do, we don't want to work with students unless we work with the adults. So this isn't a student-facing practice. This is a community-facing practice. And if you're an adult, you're a leader. And as a leader, you have a responsibility to upkeep the safety and upkeep the climate that the thermostat was set to. And that's work. So we can set the thermostat in the beginning of the year. That's usually pre-service. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I tell my language this year was pre-service is nothing but a pep rally. Everyone leaves happy because students aren't there. But what happens when students enter the room? The thermostat is set, but the climate is different now. And it's our job as the adults to uplift and upkeep the the climate. And that's work amongst the adults. It's when students are running the hallway and you don't know the student, but you redirect the students to, hey, slow down. I need you to walk. Versus saying, hey, Gracie, I saw one of your students running the hallway. Then I've excluded myself from the community because I said, it's not my problem. That's a you problem and not a we problem. Mm-hmm. That's the language that we have to create. And that's how we know that we're getting to more of a restorative culture amongst the adults is when we when we have we language versus you. 
And that is a part of like the 10 strategies for cultivating communal accountability is changing language from I to we. Yeah, and that's such a necessary shift. I wonder, Yazid, I, I feel like we'll probably have teachers listening who are thinking, I really want to do this. And I'm not sure if my leadership or my whole school is ready for this. What, do, what would you say to teachers about what they can do as individual teachers who really want to do this work to start moving it forward, even if they feel like their school leader is not with them? Yeah, we in in for our RDC programming, we we have a, a whole school approach. We have a targeted technical assistant approach, uh, which we work on like two goals. And then we also have our individual capacity building. And that's our citywide professional development, which is uh, twice a month. We also have coaching, um, which is twice a month, where you can explore your own practices, have questions, kind of problem solve. And then we have our community of practice where we bring practitioners, new and old, to come into spaces to discuss particular topics. And that's once a month. And so I invite folks, if you're a school leader or school leaders, this is not where you all are in terms of you're not in a space to implement one more thing. We really understand that. But then that's why we have an individual track where you can develop your own skills, develop your understanding, question the practices in theory so you can have a deeper understanding throughout your curiosity so that you could develop skills that you can begin to implement and implement in your classroom over time. Then what I would do is bring that information back to my school leaders and say, hey, when you observe me, I actually learned that here. And I think that could be beneficial to more of our staff members. Because sometimes we have to bring the thing to our staff members and show evidence, right? A lot of things are data-driven mm-hmm. in, in our education system. So sometimes you have to be the data point. And that is the risk that you may have to take as an individual building capacity in your school and learning new skills is you doing it first and you doing it for yourself. Yeah. And so that's would be the advice that I would give to individuals that may not have the whole school support yet is to then explore on your own to see how you can implement these things in the space that you can control the most. I love that. And what I also hear in that is that you can learn these skills and implement these skills, but also that you can be the expert in your school on this. Um, and while other people might not be ready right now, when they are, you can put those opportunities out there for them. You can show them the way. And, and so you can be the restorative vanguard in your school. Yeah. And that's the work. Like that is community building. Community building is I'm bringing something back that I think is valuable that I want to share with you because me having it for myself isn't good enough. Like I have this information. I am a part of a community. I think that our community is in need of this. So I go do my own work. That is your own personal restorative journey. And we give resources that folks can keep, whether it be, you know, circle, circle questions, circle scripts that folks can share with others in their community that may want to try it out. Low risk, high reward. And so we make sure that people and that participants walk away with something that, can, that they can share with one of their colleagues that is low risk, that doesn't require a ton of training that they can just try out. We kind of pride ourselves on that. And our hope is that one individual in the community really exposes another member in the community to what they've been learning in the journey that they're on. And I I really think that when we engage in these practices, I've always thought this about self-care, it's it's win-win. You know, you want to change the system 
And systems can only change when there are enough individuals who have the skills to start to change that. So it's win, win, and that you like, you will get these skills for yourself, which will give you energy back, which will make your relationships better, which will give you a relationship with yourself. And then like, I think you're really contributing to the potential for things to change. And so I think if you're a teacher listening to this and feel frustrated by the system, like do it for yourself. And if you're a leader, a school leader listening to this, like do it, do it for yourself, but then also think about how you can meet in the middle because we need enough individuals who've done this for themselves to start to work on it together. So. And that is accountability. Like what you just named is literally what accountability is. I know that there's something, there's a need in the community And I'm not waiting for my school leader to give me permission if I know it's a need. Now, you may not have control over all grade levels, but you do have control over your class. It is my responsibility. How we define accountability is when responsibility and and obligation meet. It bursts accountability. And those are action steps, not just belief systems. So accountability is I have a responsibility to do what I'm obligated to do, even when no one is supporting me. I still have accountability to do what's right, especially if the system is hurting students. And if you're watching it, that's called neglect. The opposite is accountability because I have to do my part. And your last explanation is accountability. Hmm. I love it. It's so good. It's It's so good. Do you have time for one more question? Absolutely. Okay. This is, this actually came out of one of our partners, uh, school partners when I told her I was going to speak with you. And she said, can you define the difference between a group of educators getting together to kind of vent about all the things that are really hard about their jobs, which, you know, that list is long and restorative culture. Like how do, how do educators use that space? So it just doesn't get into like, you know, that venting complaining cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I think the answer is simple and it's complicated. If you leave the conversation with just acknowledging the problem, then you just took steps away from the solution. I tell people going to happy hour and talking about work isn't so happy. So why do you all keep doing it? You talk about all the issues at work. What restorative justice and community building does is it acknowledges the issue. And it collectively works towards a solution. And so we don't leave the conversation. And I'm not talking about when I say leave the conversation, I don't mean that, you know, you have a staff meeting, it goes to 430 and you're still talking about it. You're not leaving the conversation. What I'm saying is you circle back and you continue the conversation where you left off because the need was not met yet. And you may need seven conversations to get clarity on what the solution should be that we're all responsible for. So if you want to have like a gripe session, that's fine, but just walk into it knowing that you're not going to get anything out of it, but agreement that there's a problem. But if we're, if we're doing a restorative process, then the goal is to walk away with agreements. And the agreement may be to continue this conversation until we have enough information to create action steps or goals. But we don't end the conversation until we have that because that is what we want out of the conversation or we want from the conversation. If you have a con- if two students have a conflict and we're doing a mediation, which is one of the other practices that 
makes my skin crawl when people say, well, I'm doing RJ. I did the mediation. No, you just got two kids together and you told them what they did wrong. That wasn't a mediation. A mediation is understanding. Like if I have two students that are in conflict, they both have to, before they come into the mediation, they both have to recognize that they were a part of the problem. Now they can disagree with what the other person is saying, but they're walking into it knowing that, hey, I'm a part of this problem. And then at the end of the conversation, we both walk away with the agreements. That's a restorative mediation. If I go into a staff meeting and I don't recognize that I'm a part of a problem, then it's going to be really hard for me to understand the solution because the solution involves me. The problem involved me. I did a fishbowl with a school over the summer and I asked them this question and they wanted to jump out of their seats. And the circle question was, how did you contribute to a fractured school culture? And they were like, not me. Who's that? <laughs> that guy. Then it becomes the leader's problem. But if you look at yourself as a leader in the school, then you're a part of the problem. So part of coming to the solution is saying, I am a problem. I didn't tell that student to slow down the hallway because I didn't have a relationship with them. And I felt like if I would have redirected that student, then that would have caused me conflict that I wasn't quite ready for. No, I did not redirect the student for using profanity because if I redirected that student, I didn't want them to curse me out. That still makes you a part of the problem because then what we're showing is we're not consistent around profanity or running in the hall. But I have to walk in saying that I am a part of the problem. So that means I have to be a part of the solution. So to me, that's the difference. And that is accountability. Naming that I am a, a part of the problem and I am contributing to the fracture of the community is practicing accountability. It's so true. And it's so hard because we're so programmed against everything you've just said, like admitting that we're wrong about something, being willing to like, you know, say that we're part of the problem being willing to be changed. And yet like, it's just the path forward. So we do need support on this. And I, and I, I want everyone who's listening to this to really hear that, that like we can be compassionate with ourselves as we go into this practice. Cause I know I like kind of go kicking and screaming into accountability sometimes. Like, I don't want to say I'm wrong. But it's liberating when you can do it. It is. And that becomes the culture. And the fabric of the culture is saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Because this is what we want students to do. Let's think about this. The things that are so challenging for the adults, we get on students about. I'll repeat. The things that we get on students the most about are challenges that adults have. It's saying, I'm sorry. It's being apologetic. It's being empathetic. It's being compassionate. It's showing value. It's saying I'm not perfect. And it's saying that I could have hurt you and not knew or known that I had that impact on you. These are things that we're asking students to do at a very, very young age. That we're all saying as adults, that's a little difficult for me. Then why do we have the expectation for students to do that? If it's hard for us to walk in and say, students, I failed you yesterday because I was unprepared. That opens the door for students to say, hey, Mr. Jackson, I didn't do my homework last night. And I'm not going to give you an excuse. I haven't been focused. Things are really happening in my life, and I don't know how to shake this. I'm sorry. Hey, uh, student, I probably shouldn't have talked to you that way. 
I, I disrespected you because we define respect and we also define disrespect and I disrespected you. It wasn't intentional. It was kind of like I acted out my emotions. I need to check myself next time because I know that my words could have hurt you. But the only way our kids have opportunities to do that is if the invitation is by the adults. And that's model behavior. So yeah. when we hear teachers apologize, even if we hear our parents apologize to one another, it allows me to apologize when I'm wrong. Because the leaders of the household are doing it. So I can definitely do it if the leaders are doing it. I can say I'm wrong. I can say I made a mistake. And to me, it's, that's a, a huge difference. It's so true. And I feel like in just so many ways, we need in our education system to model the values as adults that we want to see in our kids and that we won't see it in so many ways with our students until we start modeling that behavior in our adult community. Even saying good morning. You know how many schools I walk into where staff don't say good morning to each other? That is fundamental. So if staff members aren't saying good morning to each other, then that, I would assume that all staff members aren't saying good morning to students. But then we can agree that relationship building is important, but I'm not willing to say good morning because I don't know you that well. That's problematic. And, and if relationship building is at the core of the work that we're doing, I always challenge my uh, school leaders to know every student in your building. If you want to resolve conflict, call me by my name. That's you celebrating my identity. You knowing my nickname celebrates identity. If I say, hey, you, and I try to de-escalate you, well, have fun. You're about to go on a roller coaster ride. But if I say, Gracie, hey, I'm, 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 now I have your attention. But I don't have your attention when I can't call you by your name. And if identity is a part of the work, and it's one of the earlier steps in our restorative continuum, which it's tier one, then it's going to be hard for me to deal with the tier two and tier three when they happen. Not if they happen, but when they happen. But adults have to model, good morning, good morning. How's your day? Hey, I'll see you later. But if we're zipping past people to get to our, to the copy machine and to make our coffee, then we just miss the opportunity to build community. Yep. You're saying it all. It's, it's, it's all in there. And thank you. Thank you so much, Yazid, for sharing your wisdom and, and really your practice is what I hear with us. And um, can you tell everyone how to get in touch with you? Because they all need yeah, you. Yeah, you can, uh, you can follow us on um, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Restorative DC. Um, you can go to restorativedc.org. Um, you can also go to uh, schooltalkdc.org. Um, and follow us. We have videos. Um, we have activities that you can use. Um, we have videos that you can use. Um, we have podcasts that's coming out um, in the coming weeks. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, um, Restorative DC, where you can follow us um, and really stay abreast of the conversations that we're having around this work because this work is not easy. Um, it's difficult and it takes all of us um, to have our own practices to uplift our community. Um, and so again, we have our PDs, we have our PD schedule um, there. We have coaching hours um, and office hours. Uh, we also have a community of practice um, where we can dive a little bit deeper into conversations that's led by the community members. Um, so we look forward to having everybody present 
um, and share your curiosity um, and challenges with the work. Um, and as a part of our practice, we invite conflict with people saying, I don't think this can work for us because that curiosity is a conversation starter for us. So we look forward to seeing um, folks there that believe in the work and, and folks that do not believe in the work um, to share dialogue you know, with us so that you know we can learn from each other. And again, this work is a journey. It's not a destination. Um, so, you know, let's get on a journey together, um, and push this work forward. So thank you for having me. Jesse Jackson from Restorative DC. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to everyone for listening today. And this is a big topic. There was a lot that was said. So I just like reflect on the piece that like really hit you and like, just see, see where you can start doing that accountability practice for yourself. If you do have some decision-making power at your school, like see where this can start to work in and then we'll keep going. Thank you all so much. Take care. Thank you. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at weareempowered. That just looks like weareempowered.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and TikTok with the same handle as EmpowerEdDC or visit us at WeAreEmpowerEd.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution and we really appreciate your time and energy. Mm -hmm.